Psalm 133 in our time together. And today is Connect Sunday, and I saw many of you fill out those cards uh, for small groups that launched this week. And I want to encourage you, if you're on the fence, if you're thinking, you know, I've tried a small group before, or maybe you've never tried one, and I don't know if this is for me, let me encourage you, just give it a shot. Try it out. And uh, the Bible says that we are designed and created for community and that God has called us to live in that context. And so I want to encourage you to uh, get rooted, get plugged in. And uh, it's so life-giving for your soul uh, to be plugged into a group like that that meet all throughout the week. And so I want to encourage you to give that a shot. And uh, we're looking forward to launching groups this week. Psalm 133 is where we're going to be today. And I believe that this text, this chapter is so appropriate for Connect Sunday. And I believe that God uh, has ordained this on purpose for us today to be studying this particular passage. And so I'm looking forward to it. How many of you are ready to dive into God's word today? Anybody like that? Psalm 133. These Psalms of Ascent, just to refresh your memory in case, uh, in case it's a little hazy. These were the songs that the children of Israel would sing as they journeyed to Jerusalem three times a year for three different feasts. And they would make this ascent up to the city of Jerusalem. And these were songs that they would sing in celebration and honor before the Lord. And these are the psalms that we've been studying this summer. And uh, Psalm 133 will be the last one in this series. The Bible says this in verse number one. Behold. Everybody say behold. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Today I want to speak to this subject from these verses. It's a group project. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it's a group project. Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time to come together and to worship you, to lift high your name forever, Yahweh. Lord, we're so thankful that you are the all-sufficient one, that you are the, the great I am, that you are uh, the resurrection and the life and the living water and, and the bread of life. And God, thank you uh, for who you are. And today I pray that as we look to this psalm, we would understand uh, how we should live in response to who you are. And uh, God, I pray that we would be able to understand what biblical community and unity looks like and what we should strive for. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said today. How many of you have ever participated in a group project? Can I see your hands? A group project, maybe at work or uh, in some form of education. Uh, a group project always makes things a little bit more interesting, right? Uh, when you have to work with a team of people to accomplish uh, one singular purpose. And I remember when I was in high school, my senior year, uh, our Spanish class had to do a group project. And uh, we had to put on a cooking show. 
in front of our whole class, and, and uh, we had to do all of this in Spanish and talk about the ingredients and talk about what we were making, and we had to put on this cooking show. And uh, thankfully, three of my friends already spoke Spanish, and so I strategically partnered with them uh, to do this cooking show. And I remember they did most of the talking, and uh, they did most of the cooking show, and I kind of just threw in words every once in a while, like caliente, and, you know, mas queso, and every once in a while, I'll just kind of add in something. And uh, it was the easiest A that I ever got uh, working on that uh, group project. And what I want us to understand today, as we look to this particular psalm of ascent, is that following Jesus is a group project. The church is a group project. And so often we are comfortable in life walking in isolation. Uh, We are comfortable staying in our own lane when we have to recognize that God has called us to step out of isolation and into collaboration, uh, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And uh, that God has called us to cultivate a biblical community and not try to figure out this thing of life on our own, but to walk together in unity, in community. Now, uh, so often we fall short of this. And the reason is because community requires effort. It takes a little bit of intentionality. And this is why Paul, when he was writing to the church in Corinth, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10. He says, now I plead with you. He's saying, I'm begging you, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you. Uh, I plead with you, brethren, uh, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. Everybody say, no divisions. No divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Uh, Please hear me today when it comes to the church. Difference is inevitable, but division is a choice. I'll say it again for you today. Difference is inevitable. But division is a choice. We all come to the table with different backgrounds, different educations, different uh, upbringings, different perspectives. We're going to have some differences. Difference is inevitable, but division is a choice. And what did Paul say? He said, I'm pleading with you, church. I'm begging with you, church, that you would be of the same mind and of the same judgment, that there would be no divisions among you, that you would strive towards this kind of unity. Now, uh, unity, if you've been paying attention, unity is a buzzword in our culture today. And uh, even in the political sphere, there's a lot of talk about let's be united together and let's, let's have unity. And typically when we hear of this kind of unity, we might roll our eyes a little bit. Because uh, typically when we hear of this kind of unity... Uh, that means that uh, we are to kind of fall in line. And just uh, uh, if you believe like me and think like me and talk like me and act like me, and we're uni- uh, then we can walk together in unity. And as long as you are on my page and thinking how I think, uh, then we can walk in unity. And of course, that kind of unity never happens. In fact, I was reading this week that, that according to a recent survey, the percentage of Americans who strongly dislike the uh, opposing party has gone up 400% over the last two decades. So there is this hatred, there is this vitriol, there are scathing tweets, and there are uh, uh, maligning and, and, and demeaning posts, and there is just this hatred that we can sense in our culture today. Uh, by the way, uh, we cannot expect unity out in the culture if we cannot exemplify unity within the church. We can never expect unity out there if we're not demonstrating unity here in the body of Christ, in the, in the local church context. And this is why Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 5 verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, if we're constantly bickering, if we're constantly arguing, if we're constantly attacking one another and, and spreading rumors about one another and talking ill of one another, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. 
He says, eventually, you're going to destroy one another. Division doesn't end well. It's going to end in destruction. Now, uh, this does not mean that we sacrifice truth on the altar of harmony. Uh, Amos said, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And so, in other words, how can we walk in unity, biblical unity in the church, if we don't have a common denominator? And what I want you to know today is our common denominator is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what unites us. That is the bond that ties us together. Does anybody believe today that there ought to be some unity under that banner, the banner of the gospel message? That is what unites us together. And so we're not going to sacrifice truth on the altar of harmony, but we are going to build this unity based on the gospel message. And so what I want to ask today is what does that kind of unity look like? What does real biblical unity look like? Because there's a lot of talk about unity, but what does the Bible have to say about it? Now, to answer that question, we're going to come to Psalm 133. Do you have your Bible open today and ready? Psalm 133 is this beautiful section where uh, we learn about this subject of unity. And it describes for us, even though it's very short, in great detail about what this unity should look like. Uh, Several years ago, Kate and I were in Scotland. And uh, we were walking up and down what is called the Royal Mile in Scotland. And uh, the Royal Mile is the most famous road in Scotland. It starts at the bottom with the, the Palace of the Holy Root House. It's where the Queen stays when she visits. And, and if you make your way up to uh, the top of the Royal Mile, there's the massive Edinburgh Castle, this huge structure. Right in the middle of that Royal Mile, there's the house of the Scottish reformer John Knox. And, uh, and uh, you can read about how he stood strong for uh, truth and had many battles and, and fought against Queen Mary of Scots. And he was standing strong uh, for what he believed and helped further the cause of the Reformation. We were walking up and down this Royal Mile and Katie went into a shop and I was kind of standing outside. And uh, I looked up and there was an ins- inscription on one of the doorposts and I took a picture of it. I think we have it this morning. And it might be a little bit hard to read. But on that inscription on the Royal Mile there in Scotland, it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant when the brethren dwell together in unity. And it's this verse, Psalm 133, verse number one, from the Psalms of Ascent. And I thought, it's so interesting here in this place where many battles were fought, physical battles and spiritual battles, where many people were standing strong for the truth and they were defending the truth during the Reformation. Right in the middle of that, there's this reminder of how good and how beautiful it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. And I believe that Psalm 133 is such a beautiful reminder for us today that we should be grounded in our convictions, that we should be grounded in truth, but that we should be cultivating and pursuing unity in our lives. Now, uh, the author of this psalm is David. If anyone knew about division, it was David. If anyone knew about political turmoil, it was David. Uh, You think the politics are bad and divisive today? Uh, It was worse in David's day. Uh, There was a divided nation. There was uh, so much turmoil and hatred and murders taking place in David's day. Uh, There was division in his own family. And uh, David's sons were a major part of this conflict. And so if there was anyone that knew about how to navigate through division, it was David. And here in Psalm 133, David gives us a snapshot of what he learned about how to exemplify biblical unity. And A.W. Tozer said this about this psalm. He said, here, painted by the pen of inspiration held by David, is one of the most charming pictures in the entire Bible. It is a picture of brethren, not men only, but men and women and young people of united minds met together in unity. And so if you're taking notes today, what I want to do is I want to give us three components of biblical unity. Would that be okay today? Three components to biblical unity. Number one is this. I want us to see the design of unity. Notice verse number one. It says this, behold. So the psalm starts with an instruction to really take a close look. 
to behold. David says, I really want you to look into this subject. And if you're thinking today, well, how important is this, this subject of unity, this subject of community? Uh, David says, I really want you to pay attention. I want you to look at this. I want you to get a a picture of what this kind of unity uh, looks like. Uh, I like watching sports on TV. I like watching all kinds of sports. I like watching golf even. A lot of people think that golf is boring. I think that golf is great and interesting. Uh, But I like to watch uh, golf on TV. I like to watch football on TV. Uh, My favorite sport to watch on TV is basketball. Any NBA fans, got to pray for the Lakers in this next upcoming season, right? And I love watching basketball on TV. And I remember several years ago, there was a video, there was a clip of the San Antonio Spurs, and they were talking about how they work together as a team in harmony. And many coaches and, and analysts were referring back to this clip, talking about, hey, it's not just about one star, it's about uh, the team working together. And I, I brought a clip this morning for us to check out. Terrific ball movement. Ending with a three-pointer, and Mills pumps his fist. There's the Spurs right back within one. And so even if you're not a basketball fan, you can appreciate uh, harmony, working together, how it can be a beautiful thing. Many coaches will tell their players, hey, look at this clip. Watch how the Spurs did it. They passed the ball. They shared it. They weren't just uh, hoarding it to themselves. They were moving it. They were passing it. They were working together as a team. Watch this clip. Look at it. Uh, David is using Psalm 133 as game film, so to speak, saying, hey, look at unity. Look at how wonderful it is in the context of believers. Look at how great it is when, when followers of Jesus walk together in unity. That's what he means when he says the word behold. Now, let's look specifically at what he says, and we're going to see the design of unity. Everybody tracking with me so far this morning? He says, behold, okay, so we're, we're called to look at this, to pay attention. Behold, watch what it says in verse number one, how good. So first of all, very simply today, unity, can I tell you, it's a good thing. <laughs> Unity is a good thing that we should be pursuing, that we should talk about, that we shouldn't, when it comes to the context of the church and the body of Christ, we shouldn't just roll our eyes at it. No, uh, unity is a good thing. It's healthy for your soul. It is good for your soul to sign up for a small group, to be connected, to be plugged in in the context of the local church. Unity is a good thing. It's reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1 when God was observing his creation and he said, it is good. In other words, this is how it was designed. This is how it was meant to be. Uh, Unity is how we were supposed to live our lives. We were not supposed to live our lives constantly devouring one another and and biting one another and bickering with one another. We were supposed to live uh, with this kind of unity. It's a good thing. But then notice how he goes on. He says this, not only is it good, notice, behold how good and how pleasant. It's pleasant. It's enjoyable. It's fun. It's great. It makes your life enhanced. It's pleasant. And this is interesting because unity is described as both good and pleasant. Everybody tracking with me? There's a lot of things in life that are good that aren't pleasant. There's a lot of things in life that are pleasant that are not good right? Uh, There are some things that are good that are not pleasant. It is good to exercise. Uh, Would you agree with me this morning? It's good to exercise. It's not pleasant to wake up at four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning to go and to work out, right? It's a good thing. It's not always pleasant. Um, Cold stone ice cream is a pleasant thing. Can I get an amen this morning? Uh, Cold stone ice cream is the best. It always is a blessing, right? It's a gift from the Lord, manna from heaven. And And so cold stone ice cream is pleasant, 
but it's not always a good thing for you, right? Uh, depending on how much you eat, uh, it's not going to sit well all the time, right? And so uh, there are some things in life that are good, that are not pleasant. There are some things that are pleasant and good. But here is the beautiful, wonderful, magnificent thing about when the body of Christ walks together in unity. It is both good and pleasant. It is both good for your soul and enjoyable for your soul. That is the way that God designed it to be. There are times when I am discouraged. There are times when I'm tired and I'm exhausted. And uh, the last thing in the world I want to do in pastoral transparency is come to a small group. And I'm teaching it. I'm the one leading it. But God says, hey, it's not about what you feel like doing. It's about what I've instructed you to do and commanded you to do. And those times when I've been tired and exhausted and showed up to a small group that I'm leaving, guess what? I've been encouraged and God has poured into my soul and God has uh, blessed my soul. Why? That's the way God designed it to be. It's a good thing. It's a pleasant thing. And it's both good and pleasant. This is the way that God designed unity to be. Philippians chapter 2 says this in verse number 1. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any encouragement, if there's any comfort in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy. Paul says, this is what brings joy to my soul. What, what brought joy to the Apostle Paul's soul? He says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. What Paul recognized is there was this, there was this connection between his level of joy and, and the level of unity that the church was walking in. And so he says, when you're walking in unity, there will be joy. And so this is the design of unity. But I want to talk about for a minute now the difficulty of unity, okay? So we see the design of it. God designed unity, unity to be both good and pleasant. But we know that it's not always easy, right? Walking in unity uh, at times can be difficult. Let's notice verse number one. Everybody still with me? He says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, the two words in that verse that highlight the difficulty of unity are those words in verse number one that say, dwell together. <laughs> you think you know someone until you live with them, right? Then it's like, why do you leave the toothbrush there? And the toilet paper goes this way. And, and oh, why do you do that? I'm not speaking from experience, by the way. I've just heard th these things happen. And, uh, you know, you think you know someone until you live with them. When you're in close proximity, all of a sudden habits are highlighted and you start to notice some things that might get on your nerves. Uh, several years ago, I was traveling with a group of pastors and some some family members, and I ended up sharing a room uh, with someone in my family, and we were sharing a room, there was a bunch of people in there, and uh, this particular person, uh, we were all kind of sleeping in the same room, sleeping on the floor, sleeping everywhere, and, and uh, this particular person started to snore louder than I've ever heard anyone snore in my entire life, and it was very problematic, and at first, I kind of thought it was a little bit funny, you know, I was kind of listening in, like, this is kind of hu uh, humorous. And, and then it started to get very, very agitating because it would not stop. And I tried everything. I was throwing pillows at him. I was, I was, I was, I went over and woke him up and I said, hey, you got to try to do better. You know, like, like, come on, this is, this is not working for us. And uh, nothing was working. He kept on snoring very loud. I eventually had to put in some noise uh, canceling headphones and I was listening to a podcast like three o'clock in the morning. And uh, in that moment, it was hard for me to show grace and love toward that person. Why? Because we were dwelling together in very close proximity. Uh, you know, proximity often highlights the problems in relationships. You know, some of my best friends in the world live across the country. I only see them one time a year. 
Never have any arguments, never have any problems. Uh, you know, when we see each other, we pick up right where we left off. It's great. Then I see him again in another year. Uh, you know, it's not the people that are, are far away from us. Often it's those people that we live in close proximity. It's those people that we dwell together with, those people that sit next to you at work, those people in your own household, those people that are in your small group, those people that are in the church, those people that we are commanded to dwell together with. Those are the people that God wants us to show love, to show grace, to show forgiveness. But it's not always easy living in close proximity. You know, Abraham and Lot, they had this problem of proximity. Remember this back in the book of Genesis? Uh, they had this problem of, uh, of being close together. Uh, the Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 13, verse number 5, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them. Why was the land not able to support them? That they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great. Everybody say, so great. They were so rich, so wealthy, that they could not dwell together. That's rich people problems, right? You have so many things that you cannot even uh, live together. What happened is they took a blessing and they transformed it into a burden because they could not learn to live and dwell together in close proximity. But what does the Bible say that we should do in those moments? Galatians chapter 6, verse number 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially, everybody say especially, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. That we are to do good to all men, especially those that are of the household of faith. But this takes great discipline. This takes grace. This takes uh, forgiveness. This takes uh, humility. You know, I'm not a psychologist, but in psychology there's this term, fundamental attribution uh, fundament, fundamental uh, attribution error. And uh, what, this, what this is, is it's defined as our tendency to attribute other people's behavior to their character while attributing our behavior to our circumstances. In other words, if someone else is late, well, that's because they're lazy, they're disorganized, they don't have character, they're a bad person. But when we're late, it's because, oh, I hit traffic, and I was trying to help someone. And, you know, we tend uh, to do this. We tend to uh, assume someone's behavior is their character while we assume our behavior is built around circumstances. We do this all the time uh, in culture. We do this all the time at work. We do this in the church. We tend to minimize our own sin while maximizing the sins of others. Hey, when I do it, man, I need, it's not that big of a deal. But when they do it, how could they? And this is why so often we struggle to dwell together uh, because we often assume the worst and we're not quick to show grace and uh, quick to show forgiveness to the people that are in our lives. What did Charles Spurgeon say about this? He said, oh, for more of this rare virtue, not the love which comes and goes, but that which dwells. Not that spirit which separates and secludes, but that which dwells together. Not that mind which is all for debate and difference, but that which dwells together in unity. And so we see the difficulty of unity is dwelling together. It's being together. It's showing love to the people that are in close proximity in your life. So we see the design of unity. We see the difficulty of unity. I want you to see number three today. Are you still with me? Number three is this, the delight of unity. Now we're going to see how God designed unity to bring delight, to bring joy uh, in our lives. David is going to use two powerful illustrations to highlight the delight and the beauty of unity. Now, the first illustration that he's going to use in Psalm 133 is about oil, about anointing oil. 
Now, if I was going to give a illustration uh, depicting unity, I, I might not choose oil. You know, I might choose something like a mosaic, you know, broken pieces uh, coming from different places, all different shapes and sizes, but they come together to make something beautiful. And, uh, you know, we might think of something like that to describe unity. But David chooses oil. Now, why did David choose oil? What does this mean? Well, let's notice our text in verse number uh, two. He says this. Now, remember, he's talking about unity. And he says, it is like the precious ointment upon the head. Now, David chooses to talk about how unity is, is a picture, uh, that oil is a picture of unity. Oil in scripture is often a symbol of being set apart uh, for a divine calling. We know this when David was anointed to be king. He knew all about anointing oil, to be set apart for a specific purpose, for a powerful calling, symbolic of the Holy Spirit using you, consecrating you to do something special. When David was anointed to be king in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Verse 13, the Bible says this, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. That was a day that David would never forget, being anointed with oil, uh, to be set apart, to be king, called for a powerful uh, purpose. This was anointing oil. Uh, on a more practical level, oftentimes oil in ancient culture was used uh, to just uh, put on someone's head as they entered into your home. And uh, you would walk into someone's home and they would put oil on your head. This would be uh, something that would release a great fragrance into the room. And it would alter the atmosphere of the room. And so what we see is that oil is something that alters the atmosphere by bringing a sweet-smelling fragrance. And I believe what David is saying is so does unity. When we walk together in unity, unity is the church's perfume. It, it, it alters the atmosphere of any environment. Uh, you want to alter the atmosphere of any environment? Uh, walk with a spirit of unity. Walk in a spirit of love. Uh, you want to uh, disrupt a healthy environment? Then walk in division and watch how that will dismantle uh, a healthy environment. Ephesians chapter 5 or number 2 says this, And walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Uh, you, you can smell it. You, you can understand that when the church is walking together in unity, when we are quick to forgive and quick to show love and, and quick to uh, give grace, uh, that will release a fragrance that other people will be able to pick up on. Other people will be, will be able to see there's something different about them. That's my prayer for our church, that we would walk in unity and other people would be able to sense it, that they'd be able to smell it. There's a sweet-smelling atmosphere uh, here in uh, this place. Now, uh, so unity is this fragrance. But notice he goes on in verse number two, and he's going to go even into more details. Is it okay if we dive a little bit deeper this morning? Uh, we're going we're gonna to dive deeper into verse number two. Notice what it says. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard. Now, what does that mean? And why would David specifically choose to highlight this? That, that unity is like oil that runs down the head, it runs down the uh, beard, and even Aaron's beard. So what is David talking about, and what does this have to do with unity? Well, if you remember, Aaron was the high priest. And according to Exodus chapter number 29, the high priest was commanded and instructed to be anointed with oil before he could go out and perform his other priestly duties. It was a requirement. It was a prerequisite. Uh, the high priest had to be anointed with oil, once he was anointed with oil, then he could go out and accomplish more things. He could go out and serve the people. And so what this does is it enabled him for greater service. And I believe that is exactly what unity does in the church. 
when we are walking in unity, it enables us and empowers us for greater service. That, that, that when we are striving together for the faith of the gospel and we're putting aside petty differences and petty preferences and we are magnifying the name of Jesus and we're striving together, I believe that we can serve God at a much greater capacity. We can reach more people with the gospel. We could turn this city upside down with the power of God when we are striving together, when we're walking together. And so for the high priest, anointed with oil was the first thing. Once he did that, then he could go out and serve at a greater level. Maybe today we're not serving at a great, uh, as great of a level as God would want us to serve because we're not walking in unity. Because there's someone we need to forgive. There's someone we need to release the debt with. Someone we need to uh, uh, recognize that they are made in the image of God and start viewing people as God views them. And so... What we see is David saying that this oil was down Aaron's beard, and he was talking about the high priest and how this will enable us to function at a greater level. Can I just remind you today that the devil is not afraid of a large church, but he is afraid of a united church. Because when we are united together, we can serve God at a greater capacity, and this is the prerequisite for us to go and serve God at a high level. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, have not love, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, just making noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. If you are unwilling to love, then you are unfit to serve, unfit to lead. Paul is saying, hey, we can have all the knowledge in the world. We can have all the right answers in the world. But if we are not simply loving people, we're missing the mark. And so oil is this picture of, of this fragrance. But then it goes on in verse number two. And he says, and it ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, the high priest, and went down to the skirts of his garments. Not just a little bit, but all the way to the feet. I, I thought about illustrating this this morning, but I didn't think I could have a volunteer that would agree to do this. And so I decided to forego the illustration, but you can kind of get the picture. The oil goes down the head, down the beard, all the way uh, to the feet. It's an all-encompassing unity. Derek Kinder said this, the anointing oil intended for the head was not confined to it, nor could its fragrance be contained. Exodus 29, 21 provided explicitly that the pouring of the oil on the head, some was to be sprinkled on the robes, and he and his garment shall be holy. And so what we recognize today is that unity is, is far-reaching. It reaches that person that you think, I'll never get along with them. I'll never be able to forgive them. Uh, that person has wronged me. That person has hurt me. I'll never be able to forgive that person. Hey, uh, uh, biblical unity is far-reaching. It's, it's all-encompassing that God's grace can give us exactly what we need uh, to conquer that situation. So we see we see oil is the first picture uh, of unity, but then he's going to give another picture of unity in verse number three. Are you still with me today? So oil is the first picture. The second picture is dew, uh, dew, uh, the, the, the dew that came from the mountains, specifically Mount Hermon. Notice verse number three, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Now, if you were to go to Israel today, uh, really, if you were standing in one of some of the major biblical cities of the time, Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, you'd be able to look up and see Mount Hermon. I believe we have a picture this morning of Mount Hermon. 
and you'd be able to see these snow-covered mountains. And so this was uh, a landscape that the children of Israel were very familiar with. And so the snow on top of Mount Hermon would often uh, melt and descend uh, down to the lower cities, providing this dew, providing this freshness, actually uh, providing uh, water for the Jordan River, uh, giving life to everything that it touched. And so David is saying that unity is like the dew of Hermon that is coming down and giving this freshness, that is giving uh, new life to everything that it touches. I believe that when the church walks in unity, when the body of Christ walks in unity, that we will be refreshing to other people, that we will be able to give life to other people. Hey, there's enough discouragement out in the world today. There's enough things to complain about. Hey, when we show up on a Sunday morning, it should be like breathing that fresh mountain air, that we can be breathing that Mount Hermon air. It's refreshing to be around the body of Christ. It's refreshing to be around uh, the people of God. And so David is saying that, hey, unity should be refreshing to your soul. That's why we're so passionate about getting plugged into a small group. This is not, I, I don't know if there's any misconceptions. I don't know if anyone's cynical in here today that would say, you know, they're just trying to have, have more numbers in groups or, you know, that, that's not for me. That, that is not our heart at all. We truly believe that you cannot thrive spiritually without being plugged in and rooted in community. And we truly believe that when we can get plugged in on a smaller level, uh, level uh, we can uh, pray for one another, learn more about one another, that we can be united uh, hand in hand, and there would be a life-giving component to walking in community. And so David said it's about the oil, uh, the, the fragrance of the oil, the freshness of a dew. This is all speaking to the uh, delight, the delight of unity. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan said the dew was uh, ever the agent of renewal, of refreshment, of fertilizing force, that out of which life was maintained in strength. And so unity can bring and give this new life. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8, finally, all of you be of one mind. Everybody say one mind. Having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Peter said, this is what I want to leave you with. He says, I want you to love one another. I want you to be of one mind. I want you to love as brothers, to be forgiving, to be courteous. This is what was on the heart of Peter. You know, when you really want to know about someone and about what they care about, you should listen to what they pray for. When you listen to what someone prays for, it's revealed what they really care about. That's why I love listening to children pray. Very authentic in their prayers, right? You know what that, what's really on their mind, what they care about when you listen to a child pray. You know, when we pray, what are the things that we usually pray for, typically pray for? We want to pray for our children. Why? Because we love our children. We care for our children. We typically pray about our finances because we need help in our financial areas, right? We pray about our families. See, if you want to know what someone cares about, if you want to know what's, what's really on someone's heart and mind, listen to their intimate prayers before the Lord, what they're crying out to him. With that in mind, we have to ask ourselves, then what did Jesus pray for? What did Jesus really care about? If you want to know what someone really cares about, listen to what they're praying for. What did Jesus pray for? In John chapter 17, we have one of the most prominent prayers in Scripture, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And this is what it says in John 17, verse number 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Now, we have to pause for a second as we understand who Jesus is praying about. Who is he praying about? praying about us. Hours before Jesus would go to the cross, he's praying for you. He's praying for me. Then it says this, what is he praying for? That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. 
that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and that the glory which thou gavest me I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me that they may be, that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Four times in these short verses in this prayer, Jesus is praying for our unity. What was important to Jesus? That we would strive together for the faith of the gospel. That we would stop getting caught up in petty differences and petty preferences and we would put those things aside and we would unite under the banner of Jesus Christ and recognize that he is our common denominator. That we would be one. But what's the purpose? Why are we to walk in unity? Why are we to strive towards community? Did you see it? Jesus said that the world may know. Unity then is critical to our mission. What is our mission? Reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And we cannot do that effectively if we are not striving together and pursuing a biblical unity. He says, Father, I'm praying that they would be one. Over and over he prays this. Why? So that the world could see that. They could smell that fragrance of anointing oil. Something different going on over here. They're not posting what other people post. They're not complaining about what other people complain about. Hey, they, they actually can learn to agree to disagree and unite around the important things. Jesus was praying for our unity because unity is critical to our mission. You know, several months ago, I saw this video clip I want to show this morning as we close. And uh, there was a fire, and uh, the fire truck was trying to get to this skyscraper to put out this fire. But there was a car right in the, right in the way. Anybody see this video? This car was right in the way in the street, and uh, the fire truck was trying to get through. And so the people, uh, in a panic, in a hurry, they decided that they were going to try to work together to pick up this car and to move it so the fire truck could go through. And I brought this short clip for us today. And as the video goes on, we cut it a little bit short, but you can see the fire and the flames in the building. You know, in that moment, what I love about those people is they were not arguing with each other about what kind of car it was. No, these tires, it's not possible. These tires are too heavy, and I don't like the interior of the car. And, you know, this, this car only has two cup holders. Wow, would you look at that? They were not talking about the car. They were not talking about things that didn't matter. They recognized the building is on fire. There are people in there. We need to do something. Let's work together. Let's walk together in harmony. What would happen if the church would recognize that there is a real place called hell and that there are people dying without Christ that don't know about the hope of heaven? What would happen if the church would stop arguing about petty differences, but that we would say, hey, grab a corner, grab a corner. Hey, let's strive together. Let's do our part so that more people could be reached with the gospel. Today, I don't know how God would be speaking to you in a message like this, but I would encourage you, if there's someone that you need to talk to, if there's something that you need to let go of, uh, let's decide today that we're gonna experience this kind of unity and strive towards this kind of unity that the scripture commands. And I wanna close with the one uh, last phrase of verse number three. Do you have one more uh, phrase in you today? At the end of verse number three, well, I'll just read the whole thing. It says, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, it's gonna bring freshness, it's gonna bring new life, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, watch this, even life forevermore. 
I love how David closes here by bringing our attention to eternal life, everlasting life. He's talking about something that all of us think about, that all of us have wondered about, uh, that, that every person has thought about eternity. How do we know this? Well, Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 3, verse number 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. There's something innate within us that thinks about what happens after we die. Is there really eternal life? Except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. And so the question that I have for us today, whether you're watching online, whether you're in the room, is where will you spend eternity? If you were to die today, where would you go? Because the Bible tells us that this is something that we can be confident in. The Bible tells us that this is something that we can know. We can know where we will spend eternity. The Bible says in John 5, 24, most assuredly I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes in him. Everybody say believes in him. Puts our faith and confidence in Jesus alone who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. And today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, I would encourage you, you can put your faith in him, you can believe on him, and you will experience everlasting life. You'll be passed from death unto life. And this is the most important decision that anyone can make to understand that Jesus Christ is your Lord and savior and that when you die, you can spend forever in heaven with Jesus.